0: Hello and welcome to the death of the Roman Republic. Chapter 4, Marius and the Social War By 107 BCE, the Republic and its institutions were not at its height. There were two factions in politics, the Populares and the Optimates. Each wanted to hold and gain power, but did so through different means. The Populares faction was born by the Gracchi brothers, who wanted to pass measures that would help the people, thereby gaining their support, thereby making themselves very powerful if the majority of people loved them. On the opposite end of the spectrum were the Optimates, who didn't like this change to Roman politics. They were more conservative senators who wanted the Senate's power to outweigh the people's will. The Optimates had dominated the Republic since the death of Gaius Gracchus over a decade ago, they were back to benefiting under this traditional system, and didn't want any more radical popularis upstarts to threaten their power. Let's not forget, Tiberius and Gaius Gracchus were killed by the actions of Optimate Senators. Besides eliminating their political rivals, the Optimates painted a pretty clear picture. For any law to pass, the Senate has to approve it. That's it. And if you're going to be a popularis who simply wants to allow the Roman people to vote on something, I want them dead! I want his family dead! I want his house burnt to the ground!" Indeed, the deaths of Tiberius and Gaius Gracchus was more than murder. It's about sending a message. Since reasserting their dominance, the Optimate leadership had been dealt a series of military defeats. King Jugurtha of Numidia was giving them trouble, along with various tribes to which the Republic had suffered five other defeats. Such a track record did not reflect well in most people's minds, as a thriving Republic should be a victorious one. So it came that a single, extraordinary individual would have to save this faltering republic. A novus homo was a new man, a man with no ancestors in the Senate. Name recognition was crucial in Roman politics. Young men looking to break into the political game paraded the actions of their famous ancestors to appeal to voters. Romans believed that the traits of great men could be passed from generation to generation within a family. A novus homo, therefore, was elected to office not because of his name, but by the merit of his actions. From the bottom, now we're here. Today we meet Gaius Marius, one such novus homo. An ambitious man, he had served the Republic as a military tribune, then tribune of the plebs, then praetor, and then was governor of the province of further Spain. After his governorship, Marius married a woman named Julia. In 109 BCE, Marius served as a legate, a subordinate commander, to Consul Quintus Caecilius Metellus, warring in Numidia against King Jugurtha. Marius was critical of Metellus's leadership that Rome's war against Jugurtha was not as effective as it could have been. While Metellus advised Marius against running for Consul, Marius defied his commander. Marius advertised himself as an able soldier whose advancement came from his merit, not relying on his established ancestry. To the Roman voters sick of the optimate establishment that was failing them, Marius's campaign succeeded, and he won the consulship for 107 BCE. It was quite simple. Since the establishment wasn't making anything better, the Romans were going to elect an outsider, and Marius was hoped that prosperity would return to the Republic. After his lengthy introduction, our essential question to keep in mind this episode is what allowed Marius to stay in power? The established Optimate aristocracy was not keen that the outsider Marius was now leading the Republic. Since the Optimate Senate wouldn't help him, Marius used popularis tactics to get what he wanted. A proposal was passed by the people, not the Senate, to strip Metellus of command in Numidia and give it to Marius. The Optimates tried to discourage his success by only allowing Marius to take volunteer soldiers. Marius cleverly found a way around this, taking volunteers from Rome's poorest classes who did not own property and would not normally be eligible for military service, Giving him the forces he needed. With Marius in command, he hunted Jugurtha down and defeated Numidia in 105 BCE. It would actually be Marius's lieutenant, Lucius Cornelius Sola, who would convince Jugurtha's ally to betray him. Sola would capture Jugurtha himself. Yet Marius's Numidian victory and celebrated execution of King Jugurtha was overshadowed by disaster in southern France. At the Battle of Oracio that same year, Roman consuls led eight legions to complete destruction by the Cimbrian Teutones. The Cimbrian Teutones were migrating Germanic tribes who inflicted nearly as many casualties on Rome as Hannibal had. The war hero Marius was perceived as the only shield against the threat of these barbarians in the north and was re-elected consul. There was traditionally a 10-year gap between a man's re-election as consul to prevent corruption and domination of one individual. Marius wasn't even in Rome to stand for the consulship, which was definitely illegal. However, in such a crisis, the rules were bent so Marius could protect Rome. From then, Marius was re-elected consul every year from 104 to 100 BCE, an unprecedented run to defend the Republic from the imminent barbarian horde. The Cimbrian 2 toned threat didn't immediately materialize in Italy as they wandered away from Italy towards Spain. Nonetheless, Marius spent much of his successive consulships away from Rome in southern France and northern Italy preparing for the Cimbrian Teutones. Marius finally defeated the Teutones in 102 and the Cimbrian 101. <laughs> Success! Between the successes of Marius’s leadership and the failures of the old establishment that had mismanaged the Republic for over a decade, Marius had the people’s love and support, whereas the ultimate Senate had been failing the people. Marius, the new popularist champion, emerged to save the Republic. The power of the traditional senate was crumbling. Magistrates under Marius continued to use populist tactics like the Gracchi before them. Two of Marius's greatest assets were the unscrupulous Lucius Apulius Saturninus and Gaius Servilius Glossia. Both men sought to appeal to the dominating and popular Marius. By being useful to Marius, they could ride his coattails And increased their own auctoritas. They were populares who wanted the people's love and the increased power that came with it. As tribune, Saturninus pleased Marius by passing a law that gave Marius's veteran soldiers land in North Africa. Glossia helped out Saturninus by allowing him to be re-elected tribune when a rival tribune was murdered. Ever willing to please Marius, Saturninus and Glossia supported Marius in allowing him to grant citizenship to his Italian veterans and land for them to settle. Marius supported this to please his Italian soldiers, who fought for the Republic and now could fully participate in it. The law would pass. Saturninus and Glossia were in Marius' good graces. However, as they tried to please Marius and portray themselves as populares, representing the will of the people, Saturninus and Glossia themselves were not that popular. They had a penchant to use violence and intimidation to get what they wanted. In 99 BCE, Glossia was running for Consul. Their conduct went too far, and they brought the roof down on their heads. Glossia failed to be elected Consul. Fortunately for Glossia, one of the Consuls-elect was murdered shortly after by one of his friends. Saturninus, in support of Glossia, appealed that Glossia should be allowed to run for the empty Consulship. Any usefulness Saturninus and Glossia may have had to Marius was outlived by their blatant corruption. The Senate once again passed its final act empowering Marius to protect the Republic from Saturninus and Glossia, who had conspired to murder magistrates to take power. Whatever you did, you've been officially labeled a disturber of the peace. Mm -hmm. Marius and his soldiers forced the surrender of Saturninus, Glossia, and their supporters, and corralled most of them in the Senate House. They may have been promised their lives, but the mob that surrounded them wanted them dead. Some of the mob members would climb on the Senate House's roof, rip off its tiles, and began hurling them down at the prisoners until all were dead. Like Gaius Gracchus, Saturninus and Glossia, and their supporters, were killed by the final act, condoned by the Senate. By 100 BCE, Rome was at peace, from the external threat of barbarians, and the internal threats of Saturninus and Glossia. as jealous as Optimate politicians may have been of Marius's accomplishments in auctoritas, they couldn't deny his successes. Marius was by far the most powerful statesman in Rome. No other Roman in history had been consul 6 times, 5 of which were consecutive. Yet Marius didn't make the most of his success, while younger popularist magistrates were thriving under him. Marius didn't have the instinct to win political favors or friends with ultimate politicians and families who still held power in the Republic. Despite his skill as a general, he was not a deft politician. Speaking of his generalship, Marius made many reforms to the recently humbled Roman armies. He changed unit sizes and weapons they used. Each cohort and legion would also have their own eagle. eagle! Instilling a sense of pride within units. To lose their eagle would be a great mark of shame upon a unit. These Marian reforms were wildly successful and would become standard practices for the rest of the Republic. And good old General Mad Dog Marius was adored by his veterans. Many had begun as poor men with little property and little prospect in life. Marius had won them healthy bounties in their shared victories and gave them land and citizenship after they made peace. These men settled in clusters together and retained their pride to have served with Marius, a pride that would pass to a new generation of future soldiers. While loved by his veterans, and at best resentfully appreciated by the aristocracy, Marius's popularity was not concrete. Coming off victories over the Cimbrian Teutones, the people loved Marius because of his positive effects on the Republic. Under aristocratic, optimate rule, the Republic's prosperity had been stagnating, Romans put their faith in the talented outsider Marius, who proved to be the hero the Republic needed, whose many victories indicated that the Republic was back on track. However, the devs of Saturninus and Glossia by Marius did not rest well with many of his supporters. People who didn't like Saturninus and Glossia didn't like how Marius associated with their dangerous politics in the first place. People who had liked them didn't like that Marius had turned on two of his most loyal, if coattail-riding, supporters. The bloody executions of Saturninus and Glacia left bad tastes in everyone's mouths about Marius. If Marius had been a better politician, his 15 minutes of fame could have lasted much longer. But since he wasn't, the appeal Marius once had died out. Powerful, but not invincible, the once-prominent Marius moved into the background of Roman politics at the beginning of the first century BCE. Even during the Social War, did not enjoy the same popularity. Italian and Latin communities had long chafed under Roman rule. Referring to both of these groups as Italians from now on, they were among Rome's eldest conquered people and among its eldest allies. Over centuries, they had been brothers in arms, shedding blood and losing loved ones in service to Roman wars. Of all the peoples of their increasingly diverse empire, Italians were the most culturally similar To their Roman overlords. Still, this did not negate abuse towards them. Last episode, we saw Tiberius Gracchus had taken Italian land to give to poor Roman citizens. His brother Gaius tried to do the opposite and tried to advance their rights, yet Gaius failed to help the Italians because Romans jealously guarded their rights, like their right to vote. Later, in 95 BCE, the city of Rome was becoming overcrowded, The solution was to get rid of immigrants, and expel all Italians out of Rome. So Italians had been getting screwed over by the Romans for a good while now, but potential for an actually positive change came in 91 BCE with Tribune Livius Drusus. Drusus proposed that every Italian community south of the Po River be granted citizenship. Drusus's father had been an optimist against Gaius Gracchus's very similar plan, yet this younger Drusus sung a different tune. And was more of a popularis. Drusus had a good track record in creating laws supported by the Senate, so there was perhaps a greater chance the Senate would actually support Italian citizenship. Chance for Drusus Tribune Pro to show his quality. While the ghost of Gaius Gracchus may have been pleased that someone was finally passing his idea. You have to admit Drusus, MY whole FLOW! While decades earlier, Italian communities had no organized support for Gaius Gracchus as he attempted to improve their citizenship, they now rallied behind Drusus. This obviously meant a lot to Italian communities who had much to gain, the power to vote for their own leaders and end their suffering under the Romans. Before the decision came to an official vote, while walking home, Drusus collapsed and died, Some say he was assassinated, stabbed in the thigh. His enemy, Consul Marcus Philippus, convinced the Senate to declare his past laws that they had approved of illegal, and that the matter of Italian citizenship would never be voted on again. Italian communities were organized and outraged. It had been 30 years since Gaius Gracchus had tried to get them citizenship. And finally, there was another Roman politician willing to try to help him out. And now he was dead, quite possibly assassinated by Optimates. You can't keep getting away with it! With Livius Drusus's death, Italian citizenship was also dead. In their anger, Italians declared war on Rome. Our name for this conflict, the Social War, comes from the Romans referring to their Italian allies as Soci. The Italian soci were at war, breaking their bilateral treaties. Many historians define this as a full-fledged civil war, rather than an uprising. At the outset, the Roman Republic had the obvious advantage. The Roman war machine had conquered peoples from Spain to modern Turkey with experienced generals like Marius and Sola who had led large armies before. Italians lacked as powerful or proven a war machine, or experienced leadership. Despite Rome's advantages, the revolting Italians had a string of successes against them. Heavy casualties were incurred on both sides this first year, but at the very least, the Italians gave just as good as they got. Marius was back in the field as a general, but continually overshadowed. While he never lost, he was in his late 60s and was perceived as overly cautious. By 90 BCE, other Roman generals were becoming more distinguished for their success. In southern Italy, Sulla enjoyed victories against the Italians. A praetor, Gnaeus Pompeius Strabo found successes on Italy's east coast. Serving under Pompey Strabo was his son, Gnaeus Pompeius, and a man outside his family, Marcus Tullius Cicero. It was Sulla and Pompey Strabo who received the most credit for Rome's victories. While the tide was turning in Roman favor, Rome assured its victory with diplomacy. Rome would turn Italians back to their side by capitulating to their core desire, citizenship. Moved by consul Lucius Julius Caesar No, not that Julius Caesar, but yeah, I got excited about it too. Italian and Latin communities who did not join the rebellion were granted full Roman citizenship. Furthermore, communities that defected from the rebel cause would also be granted citizenship. Sola and Papi Strabo could even grant citizenship to their loyal Italian soldiers. With these concessions, Italians had no reasons to keep fighting. When they surrendered, they got what they wanted, full citizenship and the right to vote. Italian communities surrendered in droves. All in all, the social war was pretty successful for the Latins and Italians, who revolted against their overlords and actually succeeded in getting what they wanted? The right to vote and full citizenship? Look at us. Hey. Look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. The Romans still tried to minimize how much Italians could actually affect politics. While Italians gained the right to vote, they could only vote in the city of Rome, which only wealthy Italians could afford to do. There were far more poor Romans living in Rome who could vote than traveling Italians. Peace was returning to the Italian peninsula, and the war was wrapped up by 89 BCE. With full citizenship, Italians were theoretically empowered to end their abuses by their Roman overlords, and were no longer subjects of the Republic, but partners in it. To conclude, it doesn't seem like anything disastrous happened to the Republic this episode. Populares were popular once again, as the established aristocracy's power waned by their own mismanagement. We also met Marius, who had his ups and downs, he had been consul six times, saved the Republic from barbarians, and had been empowered by the Senate to use the final act to stop corrupt populares. With Marius's reforms, the Roman military was improving from what had been a troubling string of losses. Poor people for the first time had the opportunity to participate in the military and could even get land after their service. In the Social War, many frustrated Italians got their citizenship after three years of civil war with the Republic. While it was devastating, The peace was a pretty good win-win outcome for a civil war. Our essential question in this episode was, what allowed Marius to stay in power? Go ahead and take a second to pause and think of your answer if you'd like. Marius stayed in power for so long, was elected to the highest office of consul six times, five times consecutively, because of a threat to the Republic. In this case, the Republic feared invasion by barbarians. These barbarians had previously defeated Roman forces, and the Republic felt Marius was the best general to lead them. The rules of changing magistrates to prevent corruption were broken in the face of crisis. This is something you'll want to keep in mind for the rest of the series. In the face of a perceived crisis, a Roman politician will argue that they need to break the rules, that they need more power to neutralize the crisis. Perhaps in this case, Marius's claim was legitimate, as we'll see later on, such claims will be less about defending the Republic, and more about a vicious grab for power. Next episode, the social war is over, and peace is returning to Italy. However, just like there was peace after the deaths of the Gracchi, the Republic's politics and the ambitions of politicians would bring more bloodshed and more horror. Next episode, we turn our attention to Marius' former lieutenant, Lucius Cornelius Sola, and the role he played in the death of the Republic. It's like going to get turned up to an 11. You can follow and tweet at the show at dotrrpod on Twitter, where we share Roman history memes, some facts that may be pertinent to the episode or Roman history otherwise, and generally other fun stuff. Go follow the show at dotrrpod on Twitter. Feel free to subscribe and rate and review the show on platforms like Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to contact the show via email, you can email dotrrpod at gmail.com. That's dotrrpod at gmail.com to contact the show. Thank you for listening. All that said, friends, Romans, countrymen, I hope you enjoyed the show.